Well, I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Well, welcome again. It's great to see you, whether you're here for the first time or the millionth time. Welcome as well. We know every week there are people with us on YouTube all over the world. So, hey, you're so welcome to and We pray the Lord Jesus is touching you, meeting with you this morning. We're going to come back and worship and respond in, in a few minutes, but I, I'm going to finish our dynasty series um, this morning. Uh, I, I think I've got some things on my heart prophetically that uh, maybe I'll come back to another time, but I just feel it's the right moment to close the chapter on dynasty for now. Uh, and uh, we've been looking through the, some of the stories of David uh, in uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, um, uh, way back, uh, the things God put on my heart were things like how we uh, raise and pioneer sons and daughters as spiritual mothers and fathers into the next generation. Um, how we raise secure sons and daughters, even in uh, the, uh, amongst kind of toxic and manipulative leaders like Saul. How we make room and don't hold on, uh, but, but release. Um, we've talked about true friendship, looking at the beautiful relationship between um, Jonathan and David and how that points us to the friendship we're invited into as we are clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ and brought into his father's house for our friendship with him. Last time I was on my feet, I looked at the cave uh, and uh, the, just this in, incredible moment in David's life where he's, his whole life um, is uh, trapped within this dark space of the cave of Adullam with a few men intimidated and surrounded by an overwhelming force that are going to uh, kill him. How David conducted himself in that time in hope and in trust and in confidence in God that one day he would come into the promises of God. I know that was a powerful morning for many of you. And this morning, just going to finish up for now in 2 Samuel uh, 5. Um, it's not the end of the story, it's kind of the end of the beginning, which is why I feel maybe I, I may come back to some more. If you've got a Bible with me, uh, with you, turn to 2 Samuel 5. Um, it's entitled, David becomes king over Israel. All the tribes of Israel, verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler. And when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. Lord, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're growing in us. I thank you for this sense of anticipation, uh, not only what you're doing now, but what is to come. I thank you for what you're awakening in us. I thank you again for the first, uh, for fresh shoots of kingdom life. I thank you this year for those who've been born again and saved and added from all kinds of backgrounds, baptized already, brought into your kingdom. I thank you for those that you're healing. I thank you for that first healing story from our Maundy Thursday healing service a couple of weeks ago. We just praise you for these signs. Thank you for what you're doing in our kids and our teenagers and in our lives, even through the ordinary and the mundane and the difficult and the challenging. We celebrate what you're doing, Lord. And will you just pour fresh faith into our hearts this morning? Oh God, lift our heads. Flood us with your spirit. You're here to work today. You're here dynamically to encounter us and bring us into something new, something greater. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, will you just open our hearts to what you have to say today? Amen. Amen. 
Amen. I, I did have a title for this sermon. I'm not sure I'm sticking with it now, but I, I call it 30 Years of Hurt Never Stop Me Dreaming. Uh, if, you, if you know your kind of English culture, uh, it was related to a football song written for Euro 96 when it had been 30 years since England had won the World Cup. And, and uh, this song became an anthem, really. Um, of course, we're still singing it now, but it's, I don't know how many years now, 50 years of hurt. Uh, we're still dreaming. Uh, England still haven't won anything Keep coming close. David was 30 years old when he finally became king. You remember way back when I first stood up earlier in the year and, and we looked at that, that uh, encounter um, with, uh, with Samuel the prophet where this young boy was found out the back. Uh, he'd been through all of Jesse's other sons that he thought, oh, surely they're going to be Saul's successor as king. And in the end, have you got another son? Oh, yeah, we've got the boy. He's with the, the sheep. They went and found David. Uh, and and they brought, he was anointed then. And we've just read in this passage, now age 30. Now David is anointed again. It's his second anointing. The, the scholars think that he was probably 10 to 15 years old when Samuel first called him from the sheep pens. And, and now he's 30 as he's being anointed as king. In two weeks time, King Charles III will have some kind of anointing and coronation here in this country on the English throne. I think technically he's still King of France as well uh, and, and probably lots of other islands as well. I like to think. We, we never really gave up Calais. Um, I think there's probably still some ancient wording somewhere. Anyone with me on that? It's just me. Okay, that's fine. Um, King Charles will be 74 years old. Uh, he's been waiting his whole life. I presume he's been preparing in some way to finally come into the role that he believes he was born for. For David, it was just 30 years. He'd been, he'd been seven and a half years as king of his own little tribe of Judah when Saul died. And now, in 2 Samuel 5, coming into this, this, um, this I was going to say this final moment. No, it's the, it's the end of the beginning as the unified king of, um, of, of all the tribes of Israel. 10 to 15 years he's been waiting for this. I, I like the feel of this. This is good. I'm going to take it off before it goes to my head. Um, 10 to 15 years he's been waiting. Um, he's fought and killed Goliath as a teenager. Um, he's become an army leader, probably still while he's in his late teens. You couldn't join the army till you were 18, 19. Uh, before he's 20, he's in the court of the king with real influence on the inside track. David's been on the run in his early 20s. He's been fearing for his life. He's been leading hardened men in exile. He's worked as a double agent. Read the stories. They're in incredible. He's got married. He's raising children. He's been writing songs and poetry and honoring God and trusting God and, and, and even when he's had opportunities to manipulate things to his own end because he had this anointing as a teenager he's refused to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul instead he's grown in his heart and his trust for God that means as a very young man as a teenager and a young man in his 20s he's been making wise and godly decisions not just in his actions but we know every decision begins in our hearts doesn't it before our actions get involved in fact I think David is at his best in these years he he makes um, he makes much less wise decisions later on in life when he has the comfort of the kingship in his hands but at this point where he's fully trusting God he makes remarkable decisions yeah, from when he's, when he's killing lions and bears as a young boy looking after his father's sheep to how he handles the, the massive surge of fame after killing Goliath. 
I mean, never mind, you know, like Instagram trending and all that. This guy, you know, Saul has slain his thousands. David's slain his tens of thousands. He's the headline act in Israel. He handles himself with remarkable maturity as a young man. How he handles, after that, the, the, the depressions of fear and disappointment as he's running for his life as a fugitive. What a work of God in a young man. I, I, do you pray for our young people? I'm, I'm praying for them, that they might grow in this kind of maturity. Now he's in his 30s, and it's clear that his 30 years of hurt have never stopped him dreaming. There's my, there's my title. I think I, I woke up this morning, I thought, no, I want that William Carey title. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I'll come back to that in a moment. But then as I was watching the kids sketch, I thought, oh no, here's my title. Hang on, I'm coming too. I think that's an even better title. Uh, And maybe I'll stick with that this morning. Um, Okay, so 10, 15 years he's been waiting. uh, And as a young man making these incredible decisions. But he's continued to believe God through all the ups and the downs. And they're mainly downs. God anointed me for this role. And with faith and perseverance and courage, He's continued from, from that, if, if the lowest point was that kind of darkness of the cave, now to the coronation. I like to think on the morning of his coronation as David's getting ready. He, his preparation for his crowning didn't start that morning when he got up and, and was washed with lotions and had a crown, you know, an, another haircut and a crown put on his head. His preparation for the coronation began when he was in the cave began when he was on the hillside with his father. David shows with God all things are possible. Let me hear an amen, please. I love uh, verse 2 here. I don't know what my PowerPoints are doing. Let's see what we've got here. Um, What does that say? Anyone read that for me? I I can't read the back there. I'll I'll leave it there for now. Um, Even in verse 2, David's former enemies uh, who are now crowning him king. These are Saul's men. Have you noticed that in verse 2? In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel. And the Lord said to you, you'll be shepherd of my people. You'll become their ruler. Even his enemies are saying, you know what? Even when we were following Saul, we recognized you had the true spiritual authority. Even when Saul was still king, there was evidence of you, on you, of God's call and God's anointing. Long before they put the crown on his head. Yeah, David's coronation began in his teens, began when he made decisions to to say, yes, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to take hold of your promise in every good day. Yeah, great, the promise of God. But in every bad day and bad moment, holding on to the promise of God through every apparent struggle and every apparent failure, he he just held courage in God and continued. Maybe there's a word for some of you uh, in that today. Do you know what? All the saints of old and today live that way as well. Some of the, some of the saints Danny met last week that are, that are serving God in places where I think, wow, I don't even know how, how, how they do their lives. I don't, Danny said, I don't even think I'm a, I'm a believer when I stand next to these guys in the, in the breakfast queue. Do you know, they, they've all lived in this way. Right back in the beginning, Joseph carried a promise in his heart uh, that he was going to have influence for God's people. And he lived as though he still held that promise, even when he was in prison and thought he was going to lose his head. Abraham believed God for children, even as an old man. And he's looking at his wife, who is equally as old, and it's impossible. But he believed the promises of God. No one's ever come into fruitfulness in their lives and in their call without first being uh, shaped by struggle and pressure and apparent failure. 
hello, is it, is it just me? Or maybe that's just how life works in God as we submit to him. Maybe some of the pressure on our lives. I'll look at this later in the year. But you know, sometimes we just rebuke pressure all the time. Oh, no, Satan. Yeah, there is pressure from Satan. He wants to destroy you. He has schemes and strategies against God's people. But oftentimes it's God that sends pressure against us because he wants to shape his children and form us into men and women that are going to be fruitful in his hands. Don't get so many amens for that one. Uh, but it's, it's true. You ask any of, the, any of the guys that Danny's had breakfast this, with this week, you know, you ask anyone here who has got anything that is fruitful in their lives right now in God. You grab any of our leadership team or anyone here who's serving God fruitfully and, and, and have, a, have a coffee with them or have, have lunch with them in the next couple of weeks and ask them their story and you'll find they've had a call and they've had a fight to hold on to it before any kind of public recognition of what they're now doing was given to them uh, in the public domain. It's quite similar, really, uh, this verse 2 and this recognition of, of Saul's men, of what was going on in David's life, when we jump forward to the New Testament. And we're looking not just at David, the shepherd boy, and now the shepherd of God's people, but we look at how the New Testament said, says that God's people now, his church, are to be led. God's given us shepherds. Uh, it's the same word. We, the word we use for elders or pastors is the word shepherds. It's the same word that was used of, of David in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, when we set shepherds or pastors of God's flock aside, we have the same attitude. We're not just saying, oh, here's a guy with a little bit of gift. He's come out of nowhere uh, and he's quite good on his feet. He does good, really funny sermons and he's got some cool tattoos and he's all over Instagram. Um, no, we, well, we see some potential in him. No, no, we're recognizing and affirming, even like Saul's men did, that we already see something on your life. You're already living this way, e even before the public recognition. You're already shepherding before we put the crown on your head. You're already leading yourself and leading others long before anyone's given you a, a sphere, a platform to do that. There's already evidence of God's call and anointing to lead his people. We've already recognized you've been shaped through that kind of struggle. That, that's, that's what we look for in leaders in God's church. It's exactly the same as what happened for David here in this, in, in this story in uh, 2 Samuel. I was thinking back to my life, and it's, it's ancient history now, some of it, but when, when I was the age of a young David, long before anyone laid hands on me as a leader or anyone was thinking of laying hands on me as a leader, I, I used to take every chance I could to, to preach. Um, I, I, no one would ever ask me to preach. Occasionally I'd get a gig at the youth, the youth group um, and then they'd say, hey, you were very enthusiastic, thank you. Um, maybe we'll ask you again in a year or so's time. Um, but I used to go, I, one of the elders said, you, you should come to the prayer meetings with me. I thought, yeah, I'm going to the prayer meeting. And, and honestly, I, I, used to, I, used to, I used to pray my sermons that I'd be writing at home. I, I, I thought, I can pray out loud they can't stop me praying and so I, I pray my sermons I'm not sure that it was a great attitude but you could God was shaping something in me um, in in my uh, in my kind of uh, naive uh, ambition as a as a teenager I, I just said yes to leading anything at that time that people would in entrust to me I wasn't even I just begun to lead myself um, but I'd say yes to anything when Kaz and I first got married we we're 20 21 uh, and I was playing in bands and doing lots of stuff. And I thought, oh, okay, now I'm going to be given the worship ministry of this, of this big and growing church that we were a part of. And they said to us, hey, um, would you, after school on a Fridays, in that kind of scabby school hall, away from the glamour of the Sunday morning church meeting, would you and your wife, would you lead a kids club? Would you start something? So we said, yes. <laughs> we said, yes. And we just wanted to lead anything that was entrusted to us. And so uh, it wasn't the ministry. It wasn't a platform I thought I'd had. Nobody seemed to be paying any attention 
but with faith and obedience, we grew a kids' club out of nothing with a whole load of unchurched kids uh, on an estate um, nearby where we were living. Then we were given a small group, and we said, yes, we'll lead a small group. Then I was given the worship team. We said, yes, we'll grow the worship team. Thank you, God. We just said yes. When we first got married, we rented a house, then we managed to buy a little flat, a little apartment, and we said yes to God. We want to care for people. We want to open our home. We decided we're just going to do hospitality. We'll have people over just for coffees and meals and movies and talking and life. Around that time, probably from the age of 18, I said yes to God um, to lead myself. I began to get up early every morning. I set the alarm clock and started to get up at, at 6 o'clock each morning to, to try and read my Bible, read a bit of the Old Testament, a bit of the New Testament, to pray and to write some notes down. I, I, just, I just knew God wanted to shape something in me. And so long before there was an outlet for the things I was writing down, by the time they let me preach on a Sunday, I had four years of sermons waiting. It was a long sermon, that first one, I can tell you. Um, I wonder what God's saying to you, I wonder what he's shaping in you, in the decisions you're making now behind the scenes, before anyone else recognizes what's going on in your life. I'm just asking you today, asking, I'm speaking to myself as well at the end of this dynasty series, or maybe the end of the beginning of this dynasty series. If God's called us, God has called us. I think I prayed about the if earlier. Uh, I love the if because it makes us contemplate but we know <laughs> the if only produces a certainty in us, not an uncertainty. We know God has called us. If he's growing anything in our lives of kingdom value, if we're in any way taking hold of it in faith, then I want to ask us today, are we going to do whatever we can with whatever measure we have, long before we may come into what others consider success? Are we going to take hold of God? Whilst we're waiting, what are we dreaming about? What are we sowing about? What are we, what, what are we sowing into? What are we growing into? What are we becoming? What are we saying, hang on, I'm coming too, about with regard to God? Do you know, over the years, and I've had some of this in my own life as well at times, I've met so many people who tell me, oh yeah, God's called me to lead. He's given me a platform. Uh, that's great. I'm not doubting that. But often there's no response other than just waiting for God to do something. Or sometimes good people who know the call of God genuinely are just knocked back by the hurts and the pushbacks and the, the tough stuff and the cave in the shaping uh, like David had. I, I, I wonder in all these David narratives we've been looking at, not, not once do we see David waiting for someone to give him the crown. He's not waiting for someone to come and do it for him and put it on his head. It's not about aggression or working things out on our own or making things happen. We've spoken in previous sermons. We're, we're as far away from being manipulative with the promises and purposes of God as it's possible to be. But the other side of that and the sovereignty of God means there are some areas we have responsibility to grow and steward and, and take responsibility for in our lives. And I'm encouraging us today, let's get on and do that as we move forward. I love the fact that David lives as though he wears the crown even when no one else can see it. This, this summertime, starting with our church weekend away, we're just going to do some teaching into our identity in Christ again. In fact, our older teenagers have started that already this morning. It's quite foundational, really. Some of you will think, oh, yeah, I know that stuff. But if we're going to grow into anything fruitful in God, we need to know it. We need to remind one another of these foundations. So from the weekend away onwards, we're going to get this stuff into us again. I want to encourage you now, get yourselves to the weekend away. This is a big family moment in the life of the church. It's not a moment to be ambivalent. Oh, maybe I will. Maybe I'll look out the window in the morning and see what the weather's like. You may have missed the cut off for signing up, but we can still get you in. Or you can make a decision today. Do you know what? I'm not going to count. 
camp, but I'm going to get there on the Saturday and Sunday because I want these foundations. I want, to, I want to be in those moments with my church family. I don't want to miss what God's saying and doing. It's a big weekend for the church. We're going to look at who we are as Christ, as, as new creations. We are called and loved by God. Um, we, he, he's brought us out of something and he's bringing us into something. We're, we're able to walk and live for him in the light of who he says that we are. Uh, and it's so important if, like David, we're going to come into our true inheritance as disciples, that we get hold again of the promises in our identity uh, as kingdom men and women. If you don't know that God has called you for his kingdom purpose. I love what Danny was looking at in Ephesians 4 last Sunday. Is he's laying a foundation for an apostolic church and an apostolic family. We, we know God's called us. If you don't know God's called us, you don't live any differently. But the moment we know and accept and say, yes, God, you've called me for purpose, then I'm determined. I'm going to live in it uh, as though it's true. Even in days when I don't see it, even in days where it doesn't feel true, I'm going to inherit the promises of God over my life. We believe God. We've given him lordship of our lives. We've said yes to him. We're living for his mission in the world now. For some of you who've become believers in this room even, or on our Alpha course over the last few weeks or months, you've said yes to Jesus now. That means, we're not, that means every part of my life, every part of my calling, every part of my ambition, it's all under a greater ambition of the mission of Jesus now. My life is not my own. I'm believing his kingdom promises are going to come to pass. I'm believing that Jesus' kingdom... Never mind David's kingdom that was about to spread and grow and fill in the boundaries of their Israelite geography. This points us to a greater kingdom of the true king of kings, Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is going to spread and grow and fill the whole earth until one day Jesus returns and makes everything right. That's what we're a part of now. That's what we're living for. We believe the same Jesus who sent the 12 disciples. We believe the same Jesus who sent the 72 and said, go preach my kingdom. Go call people to repentance. Go do the miracles in my name. Yeah, hang on, Jesus, we're coming too. We believe the same Jesus who sent the 120 after the resurrection, after the ascension. Uh, and uh, he said, you're going to go and make disciples of all nations from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, filled with my spirit. We believe the same Jesus today, church. We believe the same Jesus has given us the same call and the same identity as his uh, kingdom advancing disciples. The same spirit is on us that was in Jesus and on his church and his early followers as they preach good news to the poor, as they lifted up the poor and the bowed down, as they released the captives. This is what we've been called for. I couldn't be more excited about this again at this stage uh, of our development as a local church. So like David, we live as though we're crowned. We're taking hold of this identity, even though we may not yet feel very much full of authority or confidence. I'm, we're learning again about, about healing gifts and healing. I mean, this is part of the kingdom promise. So we're, we're taking hold of this again at the moment. feels like we're taking baby steps again. I feel like I'm, I'm praying for a lot of people who are sick at the moment to be healed. If you're sick this morning, we want to pray with you as we worship in a few moments. But I feel like I'm, I'm kind of putting the crown of healing on my head and believing God for a promise, even though I don't yet fully feel confident in what he's able to do through me but I'm going to walk with him I'm determined to take him uh, true to his word and see what he shapes in and through us Hebrews 6 verse 12 the writer to the Hebrews says we do not want you to become lazy do you know um, I, I think in the first session of this dynasty series we talked about our kind of churches that came out of this pioneering work of the Spirit in the 1970s, 1980s, left the deadness 
of traditional denominational church behind uh, and found this beautiful new life in the word and life in the spirit. That's what we've come into. But so often through history, church history, churches like ours, second, third generation on now. I was a, I was a child when my mum and dad started a church like ours. Now we're into the second, multiplying into the third generation of that. So often history shows us that those kinds of movements settle and become tired or even just drift away from their pioneering call. Hebrews says, don't become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I'm as, I'm as urgent as ever about imitating that generation from the 70s and 80s. Actually, we're not imitating them even. They've got some good things to learn. We're imitating the apostles and the early church. We don't want to become lazy. We're not going to settle and just drift into the 2030s and grow old together. We've got 150,000 people to reach with the gospel and an international airport that flies into over 200 nations, most of which don't have a genuine expression of New Testament church life. We at church, we're not going to become lazy into the 2030s. We're going to be sending many as we trust God for the promise that we don't yet fully see. Hallelujah. What does it look like to um, inherit through faith and Patience. I was just thinking of some examples this week. There's a beautiful lady called Luce, Lewis and Luce. Luce, you may know Luce. I see that nice kind of Spanish-speaking lady that runs our kitchen down at the end of the Caris Centre in our community centre business. Isn't she that great cook? If you sneak in there after lunch when the rush has died down, aren't you likely to get a, a good pastry left over? That's Luce, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's Luce. But if you listen to her story and Lewis's story through years of prayer and struggle and growth, backstage, hidden away behind the scenes. She's now reaching thousands every week in the Spanish-speaking world in South America. Lucy just published her second book in Spanish. Um, she's a great cook, but her true identity comes with a greater calling. She, she's like Batman, okay, by day, uh, but by night. Lucy becomes this, uh, uh, this, this, this deep, impacting apostolic figure into the Spanish-speaking world. Faith and patience, inheriting the promises of God. Who, uh, Valentina and Kenna sat here. Who, who would have, sorry, Valentina, I'm going to embarrass you. Who, when I first came to this church, we, we thought, oh, Valentina's lovely. She works for some kind of airline. I think she came from Ukraine. She's bilingual, trilingual, quadrilingual. I don't know how many linguals. Um, who would have said and seen at that point what was in Valentina's heart and how the Lord has brought to a flourishing and an outward prominence, this inner call to reach Ukrainians and Russian speakers with the gospel, shaped through hardship and struggle and heartache, faith and patience, not becoming lazy, persevering into the promise. Any, anyone with me here? Anyone feeling an amen rising in their heart? I've been messaging with our friends Ben and Hannah in South Asia. Faith and patience. They left the comforts of Crawley three or four years ago with their young children. They're the kind of people that Danny was having breakfast with last week in Albania. They're now living and serving God in South Asia, but where they've just moved to is, is not what they have in their hearts. They've got to further move because in their hearts from the start, they've had this crazy dream in God that they might one day plant a church in a very closed Islamic area amongst a specific people group in that part of the world. 
faith and patience. They're now taking another step. I'm, I'm praying this week, and pray with me, please, in our week of prayer, that, that it's possible for Ben to take another. He's just waiting to hear whether he'll be able to take a trip next week back into that area. Let's pray for him, that with faith and patience. Oh, there's a family that aren't lazy. They've laid it all aside in order to say, we will inherit the promise of God, long before there's any profile for them. How about coming the other the other way. We operate with a one-in-one-out policy in the kingdom of God. When God sends great people, he always blesses you with great people back. And it's just been a thrill to keep getting to know our friend RF. And faith and patience when you hear RF's story. He's got no platform. He came here as a, as a refugee. But when you hear his stories, way before anyone knew about him, even when he was uh, in the cave, as it were, RF has led thousands to Jesus in every situation that he's been in. None of these friends here, and I could pick, I could spend the rest of the morning pulling people out and telling stories uh, about you. N- none of them wear a crown. Most of them don't have a title. Some of them don't even have a clear role yet. We're not quite sure what to do with you. But with faith and patience, you're stewarding the, the gift and the call. You've grown your identity. You've grown your character. And God's now bringing fruitfulness out in your life. Like David, coming patiently into kingdom life, but believing God as though it's your own even before you have it. I'm just, I'm just going to move to, uh, I, I think, to a, a finish here rather than say some of the things that are on my, on my sheet here. I felt prophetically um, last week, as Danny was teaching on our apostolic foundation, there's something probably for five or six years now I've been praying about and just carrying in my heart prophetically. I've never, there's never been the right time to, to share it. I've never quite been sure where it fits. I, I've never been more sure that it's for such a time as this. Um, our, our building here, this building that, that we own with the help of the bank, um, is hemmed in and boundaried on, on this side um, by two little roads with incredibly significant names. I don't know if you can see them on the sheet there. Maybe you recognize that, that road there off Google Maps. But they are Spurgeon Close and Carey House. Spurgeon Close and Carey House. These are really significant names. Spurgeon, the the prince of preachers, mid-1800s onwards, a man committed to the word of God. Carey, the father of missions uh, into India. These were two men who pioneered in the word and pioneered in mission. I, I have no idea how these road names come to be connected with tiny little streets near that adjoin our building boundary. I've I've phoned the council, I've phoned Crawley Borough Council, I've phoned West Sussex Council, I've done a deep dive on an email trail to get to the little department in a broom cupboard somewhere at the town hall where there's somebody who sits in the dark that names streets. I I found that person. They don't know how these streets got their names. I've I've researched archives to find out whether there used to be an old Baptist chapel on this site. I think maybe there was, but I can't find any record of it at all. I've no idea why those names are written here on our boundary, but they are written here next to us, I believe, for a prophetic purpose. Spurgeon was committed to the word. He was committed to preaching only the Bible. He had a huge, you can see, there they are, look, there's Kerry House with the sort of square um, uh, block and, and then that other little street with, it, with the turn off on the left is Spurgeon Close. And then you see our yellow boundary there. Spurgeon was committed to preaching only the Bible. He laid consistently 
biblical New Testament foundations in order to do one thing, to make disciples that were discipled by the word of God. Um, he did exactly what the New Testament commanded him to do and would not move away from it. And the fruit of that in his life was a huge evangelistic impact in the UK and around the world and a missional impact and ascending of missionaries that began by simply refusing to do anything else other than preach the word and, and teach the word. At times, particularly later in his life, in, in an increasingly kind of secular generation, um, Spurgeon refused to compromise on the word of God. It's a season for such men and women today as well. He just continued to equip and equip and equip. He trained multitudes of leaders around. In fact, Spurgeon's still training leaders today. I mean, Danny, the influence of Spurgeon in Brazil. Every Brazilian pastor I've met, they go, oh, Charles Spurgeon. They, they've all got his books. They've all learned from his books. This is a part of our legacy, beloved, to pass on to the next generation. I felt God say when I first walked past and realized that street was there six years ago, I felt it's called Spurgeon Close. I felt God say, keep Spurgeon close. Don't shift from the word of God. Just your, your call, I felt him speak to me and any kind of team that I build here is to continue to obediently preach and teach the word of God and make disciples with the word. Don't drift from the word. Don't compromise with the word. Spurgeon Close, no, keep the word close. This is the kind of church that you're to build again in this generation. And, I, and I, felt, I felt God say at the same time, I've just held it in my heart for years now, we're to be a Carey house. It's Spurgeon Close and Carey house, if you look on the signs. We're, we're not just to be a preaching house, a Spurgeon preaching house. In fact, uh, you can't be a, a, a New Testament preaching house without being a Carey sending house. Listen, whether God's called you and you never go any further than the end of your street with the gospel, or, or whether like some of us here, God sends you to the ends of the earth, it doesn't matter. A Spurgeon house that faithfully inherits the promises of the kingdom from the word of God cannot fail to be a sending house, a carry house, because God's promises in the world will always propel us outwards. Whether it's just around West Green or, or whether it's to the West Indies, it doesn't matter. This is the promise of God. We're a care house. God propels us outwards. Mark shared a prophetic word this morning as we were praying before the meeting about the foundations God's laying here. He's laid such good foundations over the years, long before my time uh, and the time of the team that has the privilege of leading this church now into the next generation. Strong foundations. These kinds of New Testament apostolic foundations, they've been in the, in the rock beneath this family of church from the beginning. As Mark was sharing that this morning, uh, I was looking out at, over Mark's head at these playhouses that are out there for our Jungle Tots group in the garden. I thought, wow, God's brought us, he's, he's grown us through different seasons of church life. We've learned together. We've never been, there's never been a moment in church life in this church, 40 years old or more now, where we've played at church. We've not been a playhouse, but we've grown, we've learned. We've learned to use the gifts in season and out of season. We've learned to preach the gospel and carry it forward. We've learned to connect into nations and build teams and release kids and teenagers and just like children learn to play in a playhouse and oh wow maybe some great chef one day says oh yeah I used to be on the play kitchen in jungle tots and now I'm a chef or maybe someone who used to play with a tool the, the, the children's plastic tool bench one day welds great big bits of steel like Joel Baker because it started in the playhouse and the Lord would say to us again that we're to be a carey house he's built new foundations but this is a season where it's as though we're moving into a new house we're now now inhabiting the dream house, the big house, the house that he's put in our hearts that we can grow this family and send this family from. 
I just want to share with you um, uh, William Carey, and, and then we'll, we'll worship and pray and respond. There's some great books on Carey. I've got some fat books on Carey, some real scholarly ones on Carey. But, you know, the one I love the best, this is one that's written for kids, older kids and teenagers by Janet and Jeff Benj, Obliged to Go. William Carey, real simple read. If you're an adult, you might read this in an evening or two. Um, but please, will you read some of these books? We might have some down in the library, but a bit near the cafe. First down there for coffee afterwards. If you're not praying for someone, grab yourself a William Carey or a missionary uh, book and read it with your kids. Start to read them this, this week. Um, I, I felt uh, that I should just read a little bit of his story. In, in 1760s, Carey was... Born, but in his teens, in his early 20s, he was uh, a shoemaker, an apprentice cobbler, um, became a part-time preacher while he was still that young, late teens, early 20s. And the moment he was at a Baptist church meeting one evening, um, and the moment he felt God call him in his life, he just began to take, he said yes to God and began to take things seriously. With the other apprentice cobbler, it was said of Kerry that they would read the Bible for six hours a day while they're at work. You want to get some foundations into you and your identity? Read the Bible. <laughs> okay, you can do a course. You can tick a box. You can watch some YouTube videos. Read the Bible, friends. That's how it gets into us. That's where we catch this kingdom identity. And so one of them would hammer souls into shoes while the other one would read the Bible out loud. And then they'd swap over uh, and, and they would do the same again. All day, the Bible would be read in the shoe-making workshop. Uh, it's incredible. Um, Kerry then read. He was a voracious. He read a lot. He read The, the Last Voyage of Captain Cook. It's, it's just a biography uh, about an explorer. It's not a Christian book. But to Kerry, it was like the lights were switched on. He, he just, he realized, wow, there are peoples around the world, what, what he called heathens. Uh, we wouldn't use that language now. Um, but they're outside of God's promises. They don't know the gospel. And the Lord Jesus wants to reach them. And so from that moment on, he began to read every book he could on the nations of planet Earth. He, began, he made a decision, I'm going to study languages. This guy wasn't well educated. He didn't go to, to decent schools. He had no money. His family had no money. By the time he's 21, he taught himself Latin. New Testament Greek, New Testament Hebrew. He could speak Italian fluently. He learned Dutch. And he, he, no, he was just beginning to learn Dutch and French. Okay? If, if you want to help your kids catch the purpose of God, hey, why don't we teach them some languages as well and help them grow uh, in that as, as well? Just a remarkable guy. And um, as he cobbled shoes along with his fellow apprentice, he would do his preaching prep. I think his, his university was his shoemaker's workshop. It was said of Carey, he never sat at his workbench without a book and a Bible open. I, I just think, oh Lord, if I could turn back time, as Cher once prophesied, um, <laughs> if I could turn back time and, and just do without a season of Netflix or whatever is else you've wasted time with in your life, I wonder what, how much more of the Bible I might have read, how many more books. Listen, I, I can't turn back time, but I can do something about this month and next month and next year. I can do something about the next generation that I'm investing in. The, the more Kerry read, the more he studied, the more he convinced he was that the peoples of the world need Jesus Christ. So he would read, he would make notes. He, because he worked with leather for shoes, he made a giant leather globe of the world. He used to carry it to his church meetings and hang it while he prayed in his, in his room. Um, and, and one day, uh, not at some big conference, you know, run to the front, receive ministry, the band are playing, just the right atmosphere, lots of enthusiasm. Yeah, I'll go for you, Lord. No, in the quietness of his cobbler's workshop, he heard the Lord speak to him. Um, 
And he said this, if it's the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it must be the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor or to try to make it known among all nations. And Carey cried out in his workshop on his knees, here I am, Lord, send me. So it's a cry I made to God, actually, as a, as a, as a boy and then again as a teenager. That's a cry for us today. Hang on, we're coming too. It's the same cry. Uh, we smile about it, but that's what we're equipping our kids and our teenagers and each one of us in the room for. Kerry went not long after that to a, a local minister's meeting in the town that he was living in in Northamptonshire. I don't know, maybe from these older guys, these church leaders, he was expecting some encouragement, some prayer. Maybe some help with these plans. Maybe some of them would say, yeah, we'll help you form a strategy. We can look at some finance, some fundraising. Um, but these men, they shut him up. The senior minister, uh, Ratcliffe, uh, he said, young man, sit down. If God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Wow. When we're looking at Saul and David's brothers and those around David a few weeks ago, we're saying how hard it is to carry the call of God when, when others are full of unbelief. Well, Kerry persisted. I, I love, this is what I love best about Kerry. Um, Kerry later wrote in his journals, I can plod. I love that. If English isn't your first language, plod is a great word. It's like, a, like an old, tired horse. Um, it will get to the destination in the end, but it will just go slowly. It doesn't go fast. It just keeps going. It, whatever difficulties, whatever tiredness, whatever weariness, whatever obstacle, you just keep going. Kerry said, I can plod. He was a man, it says he was resolutely determined to give up on nothing on which he had set his mind. And so even though the ministers had said no, he began researching, making notes. He wrote this incredible book um, with a terrible title. If We've got some book writers here. I'm so glad we have better titles these days. It was called The Inquiry into the Obligation of the Christian to use means for the conversion of the heathen. It's probably not going to get on a bestseller list with that title. A terrible title, but a masterpiece uh, on, on missions. In it, uh, Kerry responded from the Bible to arguments like the one Ratcliffe had given him on the sovereignty of God. Oh, if God wants to work in another nation, he'll just do it. You know, Kerry argued from the scriptures that God wants to use people like us, that he's commissioned us today. Uh, and uh, he surveyed the history of missions from, from the apostles in the New Testament right up to the current day, looking at what God was doing around the world. And then he did a survey of the entire known world at the time. He had lists of all the countries, their population sizes, their religions. It was incredible. He even dealt with kind of practical applications. How can we pray? How can we work? How can we send people? Today, I, I've grown up through my um, sort of 20s and beyond with this amazing book, and it's all online now, Operation World, where a similar kind of survey of the nations and prayer needs uh, and kind of uh, prophetic um, uh, longing is expressed. Kerry did this in the late 1700s. It's a remarkable work of God that he he uh, grew uh, and was so pioneering in his time. So he prayed, he plodded, he persisted, he preached. His most famous message that finally began to open hearts and awaken the church in his generation to their laziness and their deadness was this, where he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We're going to pray in a moment. Ian, Ben, maybe you can just come up. We're going to worship and pray. Let me just finish this on Kerry. I've got carried away telling you his story, but I hope it's going to come to a point and it's helpful for you. The result of that message, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, was that some other men and women caught his heart. The Baptist Missionary Society was formed. And now, age 32, still only 32, we would still call him a young man, 
these days. Anyone in their 30s here this morning in the room? There's a few of you here waving. Yeah, it's good. Never still in your 30s, are you? Okay, great. Um, age 32, Kerry finally went to India that had been on his heart. His, his first wife was reluctant to go. Uh, uh, this is not marriage prep here, by the way. Kerry went anyway. Um, okay, he was, wasn't a perfect man. Thankfully, after a couple of visits back to the docks, uh, at Southampton, he managed to persuade her and his children to accompany him, and they, they did. Seven months at sea. Yeah, just, just play something beautiful and worshipful behind me there. Seven months at sea, they arrived at the mouth of the Huli River in India, November 1793. This was not the crowning moment for Carey, just as David being crowned king was not the crowning moment. It's just the end of the beginning. For Carey, it was the start of more trials. For him, there were years of discouragement. He didn't see a single uh, person from an Indian background born again for seven years. Our first church plant, we went three years without seeing anyone born again. It broke my heart. He went seven years. He went through debt. He went through disease. His youngest son died out there. His wife, Dorothy, suffered from terrible mental health issues, and she died. Then when he married again, his second wife died as well. But by the grace of God, Kerry continued to plod and work and pray and organize and preach. And when he finally died in, uh, I think he was age 73, he'd seen the scriptures translated into 40 languages. And he'd started a training school for pastors and church planters. He'd seen India open the door, not just to him and the few that were with him, but now to thousands of missionaries. Not long after that, my own great-grandparents went as missionaries to India because of what Carey did. He'd seen many converts for Christ. Will you stand with me? David in his teens and 20s, into his inheritance in his 30s. William Carey is a young man. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I can't do anything about my life before this. You, you, you could sit here this morning and say, oh, but God, this or that or this or that, all the things you've struggled with up until now. Yeah, they're all very real and they can have a huge effect on your life. But from today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can resolve, Lord, I'm going to attempt great things for you. and I'm going to expect great things from you. We believe we have the same kingdom call and identity. It's what we said yes to. Surely, church family, we can pray this week. Surely we can plod as we move forward. Just nudge the person next to them. Tell them you're a plodder. Uh, you can keep going. You can keep walking in God. Surely we can believe God and work hard and sow into the kingdom things, even where we don't see it and where others don't understand it. I just want to ask you at the end of this Dynasty series, series, will you continue to dream with me prophetically? for great things into this next generation. We're not just preaching a nice sermon series for a few Sundays. This comes out of a prophetic burden on our team for the church that's shaped into the 2030s. What kind of church are we going to be? We've got a bigger dream than we knew when we came to Christ. Spurgeon Close, Carey House, strong foundations, but for going now into the dream house. When we ask God, oh, what have you got for us in Crawley? Could you give us a sign, Lord? We need another sign. Lord, the Lord's literally hemmed us in with our building and written road signs that say Spurgeon and Carey. So I just want to ask you this morning, if there are any adults here, 
that are not yet followers of Jesus. I want to say to you lovingly and, and not glibly at all, but you're wasting your life. You have a purpose and a call. God knew you before you were born. He wants to set you apart to follow his kingdom call and his, his purpose for his, his mission into the nations. Whatever he's done in your life so far, he calls you to repent and give your life to him. If there's anyone here in the room or on YouTube this morning that knows I'm not yet following Jesus, just asking you now to respond to him and say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to turn from my old life and follow you. I'm making you Lord. I want your ambition, your call on my life. Just while everyone's got their eyes closed, if there's anyone here, I know loads of you here this morning and most of you are followers of Jesus, I'm sure, but just wave your hand at me. We're going to keep doing this, keep asking. If you're online, please get in touch with us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We want to live for your kingdom call. If you've, if you've uh, maybe I didn't see you, I know there are one or two hands waving. Please come and find me or find someone you've come with this morning. We want to help you take your next steps. We start, can I just ask you to turn around and face the doors there? Look at this. The guys in the back row are now the front row. You're on the front row of God's kingdom mission, Darren. You're going to pioneer for us. We, we sent loads of, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 kids and teenagers, noughts to 18s, down the corridor this morning. Not so they could be babysat while we do the adult stuff in here, but so that we can make disciples that will impact Crawley and impact the nations. We promised God at the start of this dynasty series that we would be like spiritual mothers and fathers, that we would encourage spiritual sons and daughters with everything we have into the next generation. Can I just ask you now to raise your hands, begin to raise your voice and pray the kind of stuff we've talked about this morning. Pray over our children. If you don't know any children's names, just pray for the children. If you know some names, maybe your kids or your friends' children, just begin to pray for them. God, bring out the best. We will not have that third generation drift. We're going to pioneer again, oh God. Fill them with your spirit. Make radical disciples of them, Lord. May they be faithful to the word of God. May we raise a generation that are faithful to the word, that love the word like Spurgeon that won't move from it in a wicked and depraved generation. Oh God, may they catch your heart for the nations to spread and grow and fill the earth. Lord, whether they live their whole lives in Crawley or whether we send them to plant churches, strengthen churches, go with their work or their business or their uni, flood them with your spirit. Put the missional heart of God in. Oh, thank you, Lord. May we raise many spiritual sons and daughters. Oh, thank you. May they come. May they learn in the playhouse, spiritual gifts. May they learn in a safe way how to hear your voice. Oh, may they learn in the small and in the insignificant how to trust you, how to give their money, how to share the gospel, how to heal the sick. And one day may they come through the big house and be sent out into the world full of faith in your promises. Oh, thank you, Lord. Come, just keep praying for them as we worship this morning. Just want to pray. Thank you for your faith and patience with me this morning. I've taken up too much of our worship time, but I hope you've caught the prophetic heart of that this morning. Please keep praying for our North State 18s, but I just felt on my heart, those, even some in their 20s, 30s, 40s in here, I just felt God would say to you, hey, it's time to put this on. God's called you. It's time to stand up and walk in the things that he's put in your heart to carry forward. For some of you to rule and lead, not back down, not respond to hurt. It's not too late. I felt God say, put away the hurt and dream again. Expect again. Walk again. Plod again. Come into your inheritance and call as effective disciples of Jesus. Stu, we'll wrap up in a minute, but we'll keep on worshipping. I, I want to pray for you if you're in that if you're in that bracket, if you've got any glimmer of faith in your heart this morning. So Lord, we just pray here in this room, 
God. You've got amazing men and women. The ones that are hidden and the ones that are obvious. You've got evangelists and pastors and, and preachers and teachers and apostles and church planters and musicians and kingdom-minded business people and administrators, administrators and writers and creatives and prayers and plotters and servers and givers and encouragers. Lord, will you bring us into this dynasty that you've called us to and shape us that we might expect great things from you and attempt great things for you. Flood us with fresh faith today, not just for a response in a meeting, but for something which orientates us forward into this next season of life to be fruitful for you. Amen.